0: On this week's episode, I talked to my friend Scott Wampler and Phil Nobel about fear. in all the sense of the word, whether you are fearful about your future, fearful about the past, bringing itself to the present in some weird way, whether you're fearful about aging, we talk a lot about that. What actually are you afraid of? There's just been a lot of, I think, you know, when you come to a point of your life when you get there and you realize that things, I don't think I would say haven't turned out the way I would want them to. I'm still in life, right? I'm still in the process of living and opportunity presents itself differently than I may have perceived it. Um, There always comes a little fear starting something. This is new for me, being on camera, talking to you in this way, About a show that I created, that was a fear I unlocked Um, the fear of failure, the fear of not getting started. I really have been thinking about it a lot and ongoing since the pandemic, since the shutdown, and then uh, leading into the ensuing pandemic. And I think for me, uh, my major malfunction was that I had spent so much time advancing into the future, future tripping that I didn't really stop to consider the variables of many things. And now as you get older, past 40, I turned 40 during COVID, you start to think about what type of future that you want and what are you trying to create. And there is fear in that because there's not as much time as there was before, before I had this great revelation, that I need to be a better planner, that I need to think about things in a more deliberate manner. We talked a lot about the fear of aging and commitment. And, you know, I definitely have spent a lot of time thinking about what I bring to everything that I set out to do. And there's a fear, the fear of failure, kind of going back to that, that, it's just the notion that what if, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't turn out the way you want it to? And, and the beauty that I'm finding is that I'm learning so much, not only about who I am or how to do the various apparatus in this space to record this, but I'm starting to understand what I need, and I talk a lot about regret, getting to end of life, and looking back, and and wishing you'd done things differently, and wishing uh, that you had taken a step that you maybe did not take. And you know, when you're young, younger, you know, most of us aren't very risk averse. I, I I definitely don't think to set out and do something like this risk is something uh, that you consider. But I definitely was the type of person who would just do anything, but I couldn't get past my fear of failure, which ultimately became a fear of starting. This entire show is about getting past that and really moving in a direction and in a space where me saying to a friend or whomever, I can do this, you will do this, I want to do this, becomes an actuality, like it actually becomes a real tangible thing. And I would have never been able to sort of use my mind to think about this before uh, the pandemic happened, before COVID. I would have never been able to sort of make that time for myself. And that's how I'm getting past the fear of regret. It's a very selfish concept to present a a scenario where it's really all about you and then bring it to, to the forefront when you've got so many responsibilities to other people in your life. But I want, if you're like sitting out there thinking that you can't do something because this is stopping you, this is preventing you, I just really want you to put that out of your mind for a second, because it is so important to just really, and I mean this, not as like some guru. I am not a guru, okay? I am a person who has so many ideas, more ideas than I probably can ever execute on, but I have stopped myself at every step of the way in a lot of situations because I was afraid. What people would say what people would think, things I can't control. You know, there might be people listening that I don't want to listen. And I can't control that if I want to succeed. And I think that's how some of the, you know, most successful people are in the world, is that they don't really couch fear into a lot of what they create and present and share with others. They just go out and do it. And I always look back at the things that I wanted to really be good at. I really wanted to be like an incredible blogger and I could never get past like six, seven posts maybe. Um, and they'd be really good pieces of content, but something would stop me, right? Either work or I lost interest in that cer that subject or something brought me out of like this funk where I didn't have to just put everything on the page and I can work it through just living. And recently I found a blog spot that I used to write all the time. And I was like, this is some good shit you know, I was talking about like guys, I was dating, I was talking about the nights I was having going clubbing. This was definitely my twenties. And I was just sort of talking about my life here in Los Angeles. And it was something that was necessary for me at the time, right? Like it absolutely made sense for me to talk about those things at that time. And it helped me sort of uh, deal with the fact that I wanted to write more. I wanted to write more prolifically. And I, I just didn't have either the role, um, in my career, or I didn't have, um, the time commitment to sit down and like, you know, make this into like a book or a memoir. I also real realistically didn't have the, the knowledge. Once you get to a certain age, age, yeah, the wisdom comes with the age, man. I think it's weird to think that I would now today, at the time, no, but now today, I think it would be weird to think that I could sit down and be this fount of wisdom and knowledge and give that to the world and expect them to digest it, take it and eat it. I was also exposed to so many different people at that time who were being successful at it. And even those people are not the same people. This brings me to a perfect point I tried to watch Sex and the City recently, the reruns, and we're watching this now in the aftermath of two seasons of In Just Like That, and it doesn't hit the same. It simply doesn't hit the same because now we've been given like a finality of it. Maybe, is that the right word? Um, we're seeing sort of like what's happened in that, that space, right? We don't really know what happened between the, second movie, and then we get to this, right? And no one's filling in the gaps either, which is very well either, which is a whole other story and a whole other episode. Actually, I don't think I'll ever dedicate an episode of this show to ingest like that. No offense, HBO Max or David Zaslaw. But it's hard to really draw the parallels between the the show that I grew up watching and what it's become. And I feel bad about that. I feel bad about not enjoying the show that I love, that I watch as my comfort show. I would lay down, I would turn it on, you hear the, bah. it's so exciting, you know, in that moment, those early years when it first became available on demand. And then, and, and, you know, if maybe I'm old enough to have had the DVDs, all of them. But now I look back and it's like, I can't have the same enjoyment in it. You know, I don't know if, Michael Patrick King or Sarah Jessica Parker have any regret or animosity about the time and the reaction and the people and the us as an audience, true blue audiences. But I was like, I don't think I'm a Carrie Bradshaw at all. In fact, I know I'm not a Carrie. I am definitely a Samantha and a probably a little bit of a Charlotte. Um, but I know that I want to not fear, um, looking back and thinking I missed an opportunity to do something because I didn't actually have the gumption or the confidence to do that. And we talk a lot about that in this episode. I think this is, you know, one of those discussions where I really wanted to talk to, to men about their fears. Um, because you don't really hear that. And unless it's like fear mongering, which you can get on any other show, you're welcome to be entertained by that. But I think just general fear and, and what it looks like and what you're doing to combat it. I I just found it to be an interesting topic for these two guys. So I'm stoked to have you listen to it. I can't wait uh, to hear your opinions about it because I want them. And you're listening to Tangent Island. So the reason I ask both of you fools here is because Mm -hmm. you're my favorite people to talk about the scary things with and uh, shit is scary out there Mm -hmm. and uh, you know my biggest issue right now is that because this year has been so fucking chaotic and traumatic i feel like i have no fear which also is very scary because when you don't really have any fear you're liable to do anything but i also feel like there's still like like the fear is deepening it's kind of probably like where elon musk is Where he has so much money that like (laughs) nothing, (laughs) everything just seems possible, even the shit that should probably fucking scare him. And that's why that's what makes him so so scary, actually, is because he Uh just doesn't he just doesn't give a shit. He will do whatever and 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 just go with it. And people with that amount of money to do things like that, I think, are frightening. Those type of people are a little frightening.
1: So just to clarify, you are or are not afraid?
0: I don't know. I think that's what we're okay. going to figure out. That's just, I think we should probably get some clarity. But I think first I want to hear what you guys are afraid of.
2: Well, I have two points that I want to talk about real quick, though, is is that if, if Scott and I are your two favorite people to talk about the scary things with, I think you should probably put the therapist ahead of us. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're... I don't think we should be your go-to's for, you know, you know, working out your fears, frankly. Neither of us yeah, are that's qualified. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. I don't uh, think Scott will I, take it personally if I say he's even less qualified than me. I that's, mean, uh, a well, you've got like forty years on me. It's true. Yeah, it's old. true. I'm old, Fair- so you know what fears me. I mean, but also, but also you said you're you're not afraid of anything. You could do anything. And just something about the timber of the way you said that made me afraid that I'm going to get subpoenaed <laughs> over this recording at some point.
0: I'm going to make sure that you don't get subpoenaed. When I say that, let me clarify. I think that, uh, you know, when, when I was, when I was a kid, like, you know, the scariest thing to me was, I don't know, your parents finding out some deep, dark secret that you're hiding and going through your stuff. Well, that happened. My mom went through my diary and read my shit. Uh, So, that be oh, it was brutal. It was brutal, and she acted like she didn't know for like days. And I was like, she's different. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, she knows. No, I think like little things that you go through life being afraid of. I'm not talking about a spider. I'm not talking about a snake. I'm talking about big shit happens. The old, the, the longer you get in life, you get through your life things occur that you fear. You fear your grandma dying, your grandpa dying. Some people's parents die. Like you, there's things like that, but you know, I've had a really stressful, crazy year and you get to a point where all you can do is just woosaw through the situation. But I don't see, you know, I Googled fear today uh, in anticipation of our recording and just, I just wanted to see what came up in the news. (laughs) 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 I I just wanted to see what came up in the news and literally pages and pages of recent articles about fear, fear mongering, fears of, fears of this, we fear. Like, it is a buzzword. It is buzzier than riz so I, I I just wanted to like narrow it down to I guess what do you guys fear i think if I think if I fear anything it's regret i fear if i i'll start i I fear regret I fear uh being on my deathbed and thinking I didn't do X and I'm gonna die with regret. I think that's mine you guys go now mm. um phil
1: i i already I've got answers ready, Phil if you want a minute to think on
2: it <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead and vamp on the mic a little bit.
1: Okay. Um, this is very easy. I I fear two things above all others. Um, one is madness, losing my mind or losing my mental faculties, which is tied into, I wouldn't call it a fear of aging, but I, I strongly dislike aging. It's the only thing I'm, I I feel super vain about, you know? Uh, Mm. Um, and knowing that uh, I will eventually get to an age where I will go into some sort of cognitive decline, you know, yeah. I've already got, you know, sh- showing early signs of uh, uh, weakening mental faculties, like in my memory, for instance, yeah. and it yeah. scares the shit out of me um, because it, that's not madness necessarily, but it is losing the yourself the. Gr- yes the the grip that you have on your own reality so that right. scares me and the other thing that scares me is loss of freedom and this yeah. can manifest in all kinds of ways so uh, uh probably one of the reasons i uh wasn't very good at being married but i also fear it in the sense of like jail you know um yeah Uh, doing anything where you might get locked up or losing the freedoms that we currently enjoy, which is also a very pressing fear given, you know, the state of the world that we're living in. So those would be probably my first, Oh, and spiders. I'm scared.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Phil? Uh, So I, I feel this question a lot and just to, just to get a completely embarrassing answer into the, into the bank here. Um, I have a specific memory, although I don't know how old I was. I think I might've been 11. Maybe I was younger. I I remember having a specific memory in bed of just like a little switch being flipped. And I was like, there's no God. There is nothing after this. And I got for the very first second in my life, I got like my head a little bit around the idea of like, you will not exist one day. Mm. And I, I fucking cried for like an hour in bed. Like I was a little kid and, and I, and I came out of the other side of that, like a little different. And, and there's always just been, I, I will have little flashes of that. I will have flashes of not existing one day in my head. I don't know, maybe a couple of times a week. And there's always a little tingle in my chest when that happens. Mm. Like when I let my brain get around that idea of not existing, because it's it's horrible. And I know I won't care when it happens because I won't be there to care. But but the idea of that kind of like gnaws at me a little bit. You talked about, you, you know, um, as we get older and lose folks. So so both my parents died within three years of each other. And then about, I think it was eight years after that, which sent me down a drinking hole where I was just I had a bad drinking problem about it. Because the idea of your parents just being gone is just, it's among many other things, it is a stone cold reminder that you are, your time is coming too.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And then, and I'm honestly, and my sister died in 2012 and, and I, and that was like me like turning a corner and bottoming out. And then I got sober six months after that. Cause I was like, this is stupid because like, it was like, if they're, if they're dying freaked me out about my dying, her dying made me realize like, listen, you've only so many people, sunsets to look at before you're in the ground. And I mm-hmm. kind of, it kind of moved me to get my shit together. I still fear not existing a lot. Um, but Scott's answer is interesting too, because losing yourself and losing your identity, I feel um, that's that's a similar fear. You You can only really fear that on this side of it. Once right. it's happened, it's gonna be probably a relief. Unless unless Scott's getting diddled by, you know, like abusive orderlies because he has no one to take care of him when he's old. Totally Scott. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, fucking kill Bill and shit. Um, <laughs> exactly. kill Bill and shit. I I uh I don't I don't fear death. Um mm-hmm. and I, I do look at it the way you just uh, we're talking about it like it is a relief. It's over at that point. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but you will not so feel the I relief.
1: Well, <laughs> I, th- I, I, I would like to think that in whatever passes for my final moments, there will be some sense of like, OK, it's done now. You know, mm. um, I don't that doesn't necessarily the idea of oblivion doesn't keep me up at night. It's what's going to happen before it gets here. What kind of what state will I be in when when that arrives? And, you know, you you've told me before you you think I have like a a death wish. It's really not. It has more to do with the fact that I feel almost compulsively inclined to um, be like living at full tilt. Uh, as often as possible because there's, yeah. there's a word for
2: that, but okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I don't, um, I feel I, I, it feels like, a, a a race against time to me in some sense of, uh, uh, the aging process. And mm. while I'm, while I'm still young enough to, to, uh, get away with, well, not as much as I used to when I was like 20, but you know, a fair amount. Um, I'm happy to do that. Mm.
0: Well, you're you're both men, as far as I Thank know. You. So, the, you... as far as you know, <laughs> and you know, as a woman, it's quite haunting because there's an expectation if you're a cishat woman, uh, and you're not like a witchy woman, um. Uh, you know, I I consider myself somewhat witchy, but, you know, the moment you get married, you are framed as domesticated and mm-hmm, there yeah. is a thing that they put on you and you, I don't know about anybody else, but as soon as I got married, I was like, all right, I am set. I am good to go. I don't got to worry about looking like X or Y or Z. He loves me completely, come holy, like all that shit. Right. But then. You get to a certain layer of marriage where you've been through so much shit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that you start going, whoa, 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 whoa. I, not only am I just with you, I'm also like folding into an identity that doesn't I don't recognize at all.
1: Yes, I mean yes. Y- yes. Yes, I know exactly I, I, what you mean.
0: You know what I mean, Scott. I mean, you pulled, you hit the eject button. I'm <laughs> yeah. still in the, th- I'm still in the thick of this. Phil's married, like I, you know, I, my husband's in recovery. I, he fell off the wagon twice this year, uh, for justifiable right. reasons. It <laughs> was that you, Phil.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't want really to acknowledge the statement. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: no, it is, it's, it's, it's his story to tell. And Mm -hmm. that is one thing that I, I promised um, going into this new show that I would give him the platform to talk about it, which we are planning to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but I, but there you go. I have spent so much time nurturing that aspect of my marriage where you kind of move into a caretaker position that you become the nurse ratchet, you become the overlord, mm-hmm. the, the watch guard, you, you become all of these things and you forget that I'm a bitch that likes to go out to the club,
3: <laughs> get
0: tart AF and let the Words. day take me. And yes. you're not allowed to do those things because you gotta be home to regardless of what state my husband is in, and he is sober now. Praise Jesus. But regardless of what state my home is in, you know, I was like trying to remember the Titan, i.e., myself, in this relationship, because I literally got that. That that the regret fear metric that I, I mentioned earlier, like that's when I was like, if I keep, if this keeps happening or if this doesn't get rectified and dealt with, if I keep going in in this direction, I'm gonna become a bitter ass bitch. I'm gonna look old. And that's when I started turbocharging like the facials and the lasers and the <laughs> serums. I've mm-hmm. got shit from top to bottom in my closet. Anything you need, I'm like a fucking CVS in my closet. Of beauty products, and it's becoming a, a minor obsession because I am so afraid of the day that someone is like, "Damn, she got old," and I know it's going to happen. I mean, it's it's not not going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. But at what age am I going to be ready for that? That's what I. Do. Mm.
1: do you feel old?
0: Uh, yes, I definitely feel yes, like so it's your age me. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, you know, I, yeah, go ahead.
1: I yeah. mean, uh, like, are we, are we, you're worried about the perception right. of of age from other people. Yeah, I, I guess. I Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I can understand that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, the, the perception for a woman is that, you know, yeah, double chin, thing. the eyes and, you know, like it's just all of that stuff. And I, I I look at my photos obsessively for every part that I don't want to know is there. And then I take 15 to get to the perfect one. And I'm like, I don't know my angles. I don't know. And then I always go back in time to, <laughs> I go back time. I know it's, it's excessive. And then I go back in time and think about when I didn't have to worry about any of that shit. Somebody would take a picture and a picture was taken and then wow. they go and they yeah. develop it and then it'd show up and your head's cut off. You're looking this yeah. way. You're not looking. Now it's like, we have all these options to do things. It it makes it kind of disgusting, to be Like, why am I dealing with this pressure? Why?
2: Yeah, right. Winter, it's interesting because you know, I what you're describing. I feel it too. You know, I'm like ever. I I'm I'm the oldest one here. I'm 53 years old, but people often say you oh, would you never know totally. it, Phil. You right, don't right that people say that. Yeah, that's the line. But here's the thing: <laughs> I look in the mirror every day and I see it coming. It's catching mm-hmm. up. There's like, there's a new gray hair every month. You know, there's a, there's a weird pain in my fucking neck that wasn't there two months ago. Like I feel myself aging and, and as vain as I can be about appearance and, and and wanting to, you know, like you said, sign off on those angles. I feel like I'm going to get to a point where I look like an old man and I feel like I'm going to, or at least I hope I'm not afraid of it. I'm kind of looking forward to it because I will stop giving a fuck. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm okay. Like with looking my age in the next 10 years, because I think I will chill the fuck out about a lot of stuff in terms of like vanity and appearance. Does that make sense? Like right that now, perfect. Sense. Right now, if it I do. do the that's, right- like, that's the good part about aging. Yeah. Like, cause right now, if I, if I put a little extra time in, maybe you don't see that my hair is starting to thin <laughs> or, or, you know, if I, if I put a little extra time at the gym, you know, you won't, I won't be as jowly as I was uh, over last Christmas, but I know that there's a point where that's none of that's going to matter. Cause the age is going to come and I will stop caring so much. Um, mm-hmm. But the interesting commonality of these conversations is like the fear leading up to something and the peace that we're all expecting to happen on the other side of it. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, how
1: could you not look at it that way? I mean, I right. guess if, I guess there are people that are like, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't particularly know what your real uh, religious faith is winter. But no, I, um, I, I
0: believe in God and I believe uh-huh. in a higher power that is the God. But as far as like, did Cain and Abel grow to like 20 feet tall and beef it out <laughs> right. in the desert? And there was a talking lion at some point, and then no, some that shit salt was true dinner. <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> well, to the, cut to the cut to the quick of it, do you believe in heaven and hell?
0: I believe that there is a heaven. I believe that there is some semblance. Uh, to me, hell is coming back here, worse than you had it the <laughs> last time. That's what my hell would be coming back, coming back, coming back as something so fucked up, like you know, everything everywhere all at once. Like coming back as a rock in the desert, or coming back <laughs> as like a gnat that lives like seven days. You know, right. something just deep, like a fly that 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 flies into a windshield. Can you imagine? You're just a fucking fly and you fly into a, like, like that's, I, that makes me so upset. He had no idea. I don't think
1: you have to worry about it. I don't think, I don't think that's likely. Um, but what I'm kind of getting at here is like the, the idea of, of peace in death. Uh, it, it, those two things, uh, correlate to one another for me because I don't believe there is anything after
2: this. Okay.
1: Um, if i thought if i honestly believed that i had to be um, earning enough points down here on earth in order to get into the sky club you know uh, <laughs> i would be a fucking nervous wreck i would be going, i'd drive myself crazy and it, it's, it's same thing if freedom, i believed in hell is. yeah like it's if i thought there was a bad place i'd be living in fear all the fucking time yeah. you know but oblivion nothingness oh, that's a sexy I idea I, no, I do it. you
0: guys believe in ghosts no. No. Okay.
1: You don't I believe, believe in, in spirits. I believe that there are locations where sometimes the collective grief and suffering in those locations. Like Gettysburg. Um, can, sure. Or say, uh, you know, like the long since decommissioned prison uh, where they shot Shawshank Redemption. We, we got into a whole conversation once about maybe doing a live event there. And I was like, I don't want to fucking do that. Like, I don't <laughs> want to go hang out in a place where a bunch of people suffered immeasurably, you know, and screen a movie like it seems so fucked up. I would, I would just, just as soon like go to a goddamn plantation, you know, it, it, like, fuck that. I don't want any, any part of it. But places like that that have seen that level of uh, trauma and grief and suffering, I think that. um It is possible that there's like an imprint left on those places and that somehow in some way that, that, that can manifest itself to people somehow. But that's the closest I can get to thinking that ghosts are real. And even that's pretty fucking crazy sounding.
0: But see, this is the thing. I believe you asked me about heaven and hell Uh, while those things might be okay. Subjective. I do think that there is a plane of existence where shit gets like skewed because as far as intuition and making Mm -hmm. things happen, I absolutely think energetic fields can be so strong. Look at COVID. I I feel like when COVID happened, there was a shift that we, we have literally the axis of whatever we were existing in that plane has been shifted to me for our generation. Like our generation is screwed. And oh, yeah. I, I think people, uh, you know, if you have a higher level of intuition, which I think I do. I definitely think that I intuitively or instinctively make things happen in my life by thinking too hard on it or leaning in that direction. You know, it's not like seeing the number one, two, three, four all the time and being like, oh, it's like, I think (laughs) that my energy is so strong that I make things occur. I don't do, is that telekinesis? Is that psychic energy? I don't know. But there's something, not thinking that there's, take ghosts out of it. Do you both think that Energetically, you know, things have happened since COVID that has revealed itself in a way that we feel more aligned with the spiritual existence, perhaps.
2: No, yeah, okay. I, think I don't. There's, feel a, that way. there's like a there's a national or a global psyche thing that you'd have to contend with, but you know, I think that by and large, uh, the universe is an uncaring vacuum of nothingness and meaninglessness um yeah i'm winner i'm with you most of the
1: way there except i think that what you're talking about is psychic damage right to yeah the the collective planet and i right. i do agree with that i think that every single one of us who lived through the last three four years um has been completely um fucked up mentally and yeah probably rewired in a number of ways that it's going to take us years and years to untangle. If, if we can even do that, you know, yeah. like the da- the damage is borderline irreparable. Um, yep. At the very least it's going to take a long time to, to sort our way through, but that, that I believe in, but I don't necessarily think that it's brought, I mean, it's not brought me uh, to a place of feeling any more spiritual if anything it just feels like it feels like the opposite it feels like you know what we're we're seeing chaos man chaos more. manifest itself all the time and things things now seem very frequently to me uh on the verge of becoming completely unmoored you know yeah. um
2: that 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 shit's frightening and i don't think that's any kind of metaphysical thing i think that's uh right. you know, a gradual like you know, like there, there's it's really the last few years have, have caused us to sort of consider the fact that most of us act right air quotes because we've all agreed to act right. And Mm -hmm. there've been certain key events and personnel and, and, uh, (laughs) you know, job placement type folks, uh, who, I don't know why I said that. I'm talking about Trump and, and, uh, (laughs) certain, certain people have gotten certain things, uh, by by ignoring that contract and when what we see one person ignore that contract and benefit it starts to like make all of us worse. I do I do think that <laughs> yeah. we, are, we are worse people than we were in 2016 primarily just because we saw what what uh little consequence there is for not acting right. You know,
0: it's it's very well interesting put. very well put, Phil. It's it's interesting that you say that because I did either one of you watch Leave the World Behind yet? Not yet. No. Okay, so without spoiling it, I mean, or getting that deep into it, this is not a pop culture podcast. Uh, Leave the World Behind is the new Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, Mahershala Ali movie. Uh, It's about, uh, I don't know, it's supposed to be about an apocalyptic collapse. Uh, We have a terrorist attack uh, via, uh, they use sound waves, they use technology against us. There's a whole thrilling scene where all the Teslas are self-driving and out of control Mm -hmm. and and like, you know, colliding into other Teslas. But so the the movie, without you all having seen it, the movie really pretends to to show that if we, it doesn't give us an if we, when it Happens. It's suggesting that if this were to happen, we'd a be screwed. Uh, B, we'd have to really lean on each other, which is so pie in the sky that just absolutely won't happen. Not as it stands today, it mm-hmm. won't happen. And yeah. uh, C, that the worst, the worst instincts of people will will be shown. Which I think we've seen all seen The Walking Dead, so we know that's totally true. But I it did unlock a fear for me. This is a new fear, and that's like I'm not ready for that. I am nowhere near prepared. If I'm if 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 it happens and I need to look good for it, I am prepared. If it happens and I have <laughs> I need chickpeas, I am prepared. I have five cans of chickpeas in my pantry. Don't know why. But if it is the way they're suggesting only the haves will have the ability to support themselves in this. The rest of us motherfuckers are fucked. I mm-hmm. mean, we won't have any. And so like, you know, when we're talking about this metaphysical maybe shift, but like just the psychological shift post. Pandemic, how are we supposed to fucking protect ourselves in this shit? I don't, I know you guys don't have the answers, but I'm talking it through because that's what I want to talk it through. You two are the ones that want to talk it through. How are we supposed to, how are you supposed to enjoy your fucking life if you know that at any moment Kim Jong un is going to be like, well, maybe this. And then, you know, and it's, and, and that's the end of it. I, I just, that is something that just sits, doesn't sit right with me. And there's no control over it. And we're, it's scary. Mm.
1: I don't know. I try not to just as a rule of thumb, I I don't tend to think this way, you know, if there's, if there's stuff that stuff like that is so beyond your control that to me, thinking that way is just a slippery slope to, what if I leave the house and get hit by a car? You know, what's right. that's more likely than fucking Kim Jong Un uh, launching a nuke that hit, say hits me in Texas? You know, yeah. uh, but but I don't know that that feels you're like not a in very
0: the splash zone, man. You can say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in a you're in a slightly <laughs> different situation, but
1: but still, you're you know, statistically speaking, you're more likely to get hit by a car. So if you I don't know like that's that kind of thinking reminds me of my my mother my mother was very like fear driven and Mm -hmm. and you know so much of her decision making or you know the things that she would uh you know communicate as concerns to me about me and like what was going on in my life were always fear-based you know uh even when I Uh, went into business for myself and was making a really good living um, writing online. You know, she and I hadn't spoken in some years. And when she found that out, she was like, it, it wasn't, Oh my God, you're, you're making a a really good at the time, a really good salary. And you know, you've, you know, like turned your life around. It wasn't that it was like, well, what's that job security like? And you don't, you have to have a real job and blah blah, 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 (laughs) blah. You know, that was, <clears throat> like, but is that
0: generational
1: i don't you know, know. She, that, that's uh, this was psychological with her i believe okay. <laughs> but i just i don't i i don't think that way and to to answer your question though um there there is no preparing for that you know there there isn't um we're we're at the mercy of uh the cosmos and you know more immediately our our governments both national
2: and you know state. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I grew up in the eighties. So as a cold war kid, the, the threat of, of being annihilated by some sort of nuclear conflict was sort of like always like on the table mm-hmm. we would, yeah. you know, we would talk about it. We, we were, we were maybe a generation past the duck and cover kids. Like we weren't doing nuclear uh, drills in the, in the school, but you know, there were TV movies about it and, and right. sort of like it was, it was always, this kind of background hum happening when you're growing up. And, and so I think it kind of normalized it in my head a lot that it could happen. I don't know if that had a direct effect on certain life choices, like my wife and I's choice to not have kids, to not, to not like bring Mm. people into the world kind of thing, because we, you know, the world we saw was not didn't look like it was going in the great direction. I don't want my kids to be killed in the you know the the water wars where they're murdering each yeah, other for clean right. water. Um, but I also what what I like to tell folks is is that um, in my past life as a TV producer, I, I worked on a, a doomsday prepper show, and it I learned from that uh, crowd, or I gleaned <laughs> from that crowd from from paying attention to that. <laughs> That, oh,
0: please that, tell us Phil. Cause I'm locked in listening. On oh, this sure. Team. Sure.
2: Yeah. It's, it's not a, a huge revelation, but, but it, it, it was clear that everybody I dealt with in that ecosystem or ecosphere, whatever the fuck you want to call it, that the, this was true, that the whole thing, the industry that the, the you know, the people selling them shit, it's all predicated on the very egotistical thing that's in all of our heads that we are here for the end of history that history will Mm -hmm. not continue past you. And there are people that kind of feed on that and really, you know, caught into that idea and get very excited about it. Uh, Or there are people that it fucks them up existentially that if you think you're you're waiting Mm -hmm. for the end of the world to happen. But by and large, and this is getting a hard, this part is getting harder to defend. Like, it's really, really likely that the world will keep turning after us. Like, you're not, I don't think you need to spend a whole lot of time worrying about it because I think that Part of it, part of your fear about that happening in your life is is a little bit of ego, where you think you're here for the end of history. You think history's mm-hmm. going to stop with you, and it's probably not.
1: It's, it's and every it's, generation it's, has thought that. And, yeah, every, every generation. Yes, has thought that.
0: yes. Every generation has thought that, but it's also like legacy, right? I think that's the big thing that I've noticed more than anything. And I hate to measure things in this way, but like. For instance, uh, Matthew Perry's death. You know mm-hmm. that was one of those. I, I measured it in how long is he trending on Twitter, right? Jesus, like he trended on. I know. I, There's is your head that, that
2: is grim. <laughs> that is <laughs> grim. Here, winter.
0: Yes, that is. I mean, no, because I'm thinking to myself, what, what, if, what direct impact did it make? to this specific community that I'm dialed into. Right. And, and it was enough that it was a, my breath caught and I cried. Like I looked at it in stages of that, like my breath caught, I said, no, 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 no. Uh, I cried. And then I felt guilt because I thought I felt like, you know, he obviously struggled for a long time that couldn't have been easy uh regardless of what people think about rich people having everything and not being able to deal with it people are people humans have human conditions uh it was horrifying to 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 think that of my generation this wasn't like when kurt cobain died when i was 12 sure. uh, or 14 rather, like it, it was, you know, Kirk Cobain died and MTV had lower, more or less been teasing up the antics until now we've got a finale, but this mm-hmm. was so out of the blue that it felt like, Oh shit. Like people are human. They go through human things. It doesn't matter if you've been watching this person forever. And, and we had, we've been watching this person forever. So to have somebody you watch forever Die so tragically, it was you know pretty hard to take. And then you'll get someone like Kissinger, and everybody's like, (laughs) justifiably so. But everybody's like, get the fuck out of here. It hasn't been talked about again. No think pieces. No what would have happened if. No da 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 da. And that's sort of what people. When you get into this space, we work in entertainment. People are looking for the legacy, right? Mm. The, The the grand finale. They want the Bob Fosse you know, big finale piano into the sky moment. And we're not really affording people that anymore. When you in the 80s, when you died and you were a big, huge celebrity, you know, you got like at least five or six weeks of Inquirer covers.
2: Yes. I was going to say People magazine covers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: People magazine covers the, the memories of remember when, I mean, you know, if you don't, if people don't see you, if people don't, didn't see Doris Day, they'd st- sit in front of our house and wait to get a picture of Doris Day for weeks, <laughs> months. I mean, like, you know, people don't, I, I know what I'm talking about outsized personalities, but, but I think we've always been of our generation, Gen X specifically, we've been sort of, everybody thinks that we don't give a fuck about things, but we give, we, we give a little bit of a fuck. Right. Like we give a little bit of a fuck about at least I do. I, I, I I'm not expecting t- whatever, but you know, to be you, shut down because I die. But I'm expecting somebody to be like the impact she made. You know what I mean?
1: Sure. I think I think that's likely to happen with the people that that care about you and um right. and, and know you. Um, But you're you're talking specifically about celebrities, you know, of course. Right. You're not gonna trend on Twitter for a week after you die. None of us you are. Don't know you don't know that.
0: And you don't know that.
1: <laughs> well, what it if, depends on wh- how you die, I suppose. If you've if, if died I, if in a I very die, hilarious way. Yeah. If
0: I die piercing the heart of Godzilla during an attack, yeah. you're gonna okay, I'm gonna be yeah, in history yeah. books.
1: Sure. But you um know. I don't know. This is, well, the, the this other, is the another other, thing I don't really <laughs> think about. The other question <laughs> to consider
2: is do you do you uh do you think these celebrities care to be trending on Twitter for a week after they die? Do you think Matthew Perry gave a fuck if he was on Twitter uh for a week? Like I, I, his trending time span was a, a, a thought in his head?
0: Well, he was dead, so no. Uh, no,
2: exactly. But, but putting aside the oblivion, no, But you'll thing. be dead too. So why would it be a thought in your head?
0: Right. I know. See that it mean, makes too much sense. When
2: when when, yes. when Matthew Perry was talking about fear with his two best white friends was <laughs> 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 was he talking? You see what I mean? I,
0: you know, there's there was an article that said that he watched Friends a lot uh oh, no. before he passed because he no <laughs> God, he watched it because he'd forgotten the episodes, and oh, okay. I think that is, uh, uh, you know, you you you've you're in recovery, you're sober, you are, you know what uh time you lost you know getting blitzed and imagine and, my and-
2: surprise to discover i'd start in 11 seasons of a sitcom <laughs> <laughs> i have no memory of it <laughs> and it's, it's not even eat. streaming it's not gotta even streaming gotta buy the bootleg dvds in new york <laughs> no I, i'm sorry i didn't just, mean to interrupt
0: you no you didn't know it's fine it's ego you're absolutely right about that it's ego it's ego. I never thought that I really tried not to lead with ego. I think that's part of the work I do in therapy is that I don't want to make it seem like I'm more important than anyone else. But in my little fiefdom that I've created, my little empire, I feel like I'm pretty important. I feel like, you know, how many people are going to be at my funeral? I, I And 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 yeah, that, you know, that thing, that sort of thing.
1: It's it's also possible that you probably spend more time thinking about this than say I might or Phil might because of the line of work you're in. Yes. No. You know. No, like, it's you're right. This 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 sort of thing doesn't occur to me in a way that it makes sense that it would occur to you. I think.
0: It's true. It, it's true. I deal with a lot of people who don't see themselves as iconic and are. I think mm-hmm. those are my favorite clients, the ones who don't think they're iconic, I have a few of those, and versus the ones who are like, why am I not being honored for X, Y, Mm -hmm. and Z, which I Mm -hmm. found, I don't really work with, I I don't have uh, clients like that anymore, but in the past I have, and that was excruciating. It's excruciating to deal with mediocre people who think they should be uh, (laughs) exalted constantly because (laughs) they were...
1: (laughs) Well, <laughs> Phil and squishy. I do know something about that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah.
2: Beyond, beyond like the specifics of your clients, you, like you, literally your job is to create narratives for lives, for human beings' lives, right? Like this person yeah. hired you and said, make me a narrative.
0: Yes. And in and, and some cases lately, um, I've taken the wheel, the hand off the wheel in certain situations because there's you work with people long enough. You know, I have a client that I've worked with for 10 years. I have a client I've worked with two years. I have a client I've worked with five years. They're all over 50. Um, They are dealing with their own less summers ahead than there was before
2: moment. Yeah, sure.
0: And, you know, it's outsized in the sense that I am not confronting it on their daily basis. I'm confronting it in the place of, as, as a service to them. So I have to take that into consideration, but that affects that affects me as well because then they're slowing down which means my work slows down. I'll I'll be there forever. I will have something to do, but it's it's made me stop and really catapulted my desire to get in front and start this show. Um because I don't want to get to uh, we go back to regret. There, that's the Tangent Island, you guys. You see that? You see how I did that?
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, I just want to just 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 an applause for the how I well brought done. It. that's well the, done. The, the thank you. That's the 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 crux and the thesis of Tangent Island. I brought it back. It's the regret, right? I don't want to have regret. I don't want to get to a point in my life where it's too late to do things. At forty three, gonna be forty four, and twenty twenty four, I go. And I say, what is it that I actually really want to be doing on a day-to-day basis? It's talking to my buddies like I'm doing right now. And it's defining my life outside of this narrative that I spend all day creating for people. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of work doing that. People can shit on it all they want, but it's a lot of fucking work to try to help someone. And then, you know, they get things that you would love to have nominations, uh, big, you know, overall deals. You know, I'm not jealous. I'm not an envious person at all, but I would like to work towards that myself. And they don't even think that much about it. They're mm. like, okay, you know, th- it doesn't give them the same thrill. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. I don't want to be like that. I want to be stoked. And I also can see as you get older, how things just don't get you stoked anymore. You know, it's,
3: it's well, little things that if, get you stoked. Well, yeah,
1: and particularly if you're operating at that level, you know right. the the reaction to things is going to be a little more muted, I would imagine, than you know if some insane development deal dropped in one of our labs.
0: Yeah, I'd be I'd, I'd be thrilled at knowing yeah, what was to come and knowing how arduous and obnoxious it's going to be dealing with Hollywood people on the deeper level in that sense. But yeah, no, it's it's like the way the world is acting right now and spending so much time during COVID, having to sit with that in your face, ice trucks of, of corpses, uh, people dying from a, 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 just a really bad cold virus. Like you're sitting there and absorbing that much death. I was, I came out of the pandemic, like raring to go and Mm. life had literally around me. People, there are people who have, are there people in your lives that just have not recovered? since this.
1: Yeah. Um I don't I don't think I know anyone that's I mean I know people that are still kind of wonky over it. Yeah. But I don't know anyone that's just been like legitimately shattered by it and is now a different person.
2: Phil. Um it yeah, I was just absorbing Scott's uh, metrics there. Um I think <laughs> I think yeah, I'm on the same boat as him, but, but at the same time, I don't think it has to have had the, the far end of Scott's uh, yardstick there in terms of uh shattering a life. Like I know people that are fundamentally different now in how yeah. they approach their day to day and how they get their groceries in how they choose where they're going to be. I pay. would
1: consider that the far end of the stick. If you're a completely different person and behaving, you know, in a, a, different manner than you did before all this, I would consider that a complete reversal. Shattering might be the wrong word. Right. Right. right.
2: Yeah. I hear you. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that we'll we'll be, we'll be 10 years digging out of this. And some of us won't be alive in 10 years. (laughs) Right. You know, how much time do you want to devote to, to like trying to fix that? You know, all you can do is, is decide how you want to move forward on this stuff. And, and I think, you know, you talked about your clients and, and how, it sounds like what they are missing, the word I kept thinking of when you were saying that was gratitude. I think that, like, I've come out of this pandemic with a, a an increased sense of gratitude for everything I have. And I think a part of it is because I've gotten, you know, with the job that I have that came so, you know, uh, comparatively late in life, that I don't take the cool shit for granted. That I, yeah. I mean, kind of like, I show up every is. day going, well, this is pretty wild. This is crazy. It's crazy that I'm talking to this person or that I'm texting this person. And, um, so, but if someone's been handed that shit for 20, 30 years, uh, just to use your example of like a development deal, they, they might also have the wisdom to know that maybe nothing's coming out of that. You know, maybe, it's right. n- maybe it's another dead end. Maybe it's their mm-hmm. 15th dead end in their career of, of feeling unfulfilled, you know, compared to what they really want to be doing. I always think about it, like Elvis Presley was the biggest pop star in the world. He just, all he wanted to be was Marlon Brando. He just wanted to be <laughs> a fucking movie star. He was ready to like leave music behind and be a movie star. And he sucked at that. I mean, he made a bunch of shitty movies and he made money, but like you can have the greatest gift in the world as, as your like birthright that you're just there. And and it's not what you want, not what you want to be doing. It's, I don't know, people are uh, fussy and fickle and, uh, and they tend to not appreciate what they have.
0: I mean, when I was a kid, I would sit in my bedroom I'm talking about like four or five and just record myself talking on my tape deck. You've done it. You're here. Yeah. And that's what I'm, and that's what I'm appreciating. And I was the kid who would make funny videos of myself on the video camera. And now Mm -hmm. that's what kids do all day long. I always say if TikTok was around when I was a kid, I would have been excellent at this, but the thing that I appreciate the the moist, the moist, the moist, moist. the moist, the moist, the moist is, uh, is that we have agency and the gratitude thing, Phil is so big in me right now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so grateful. I mean, this was one of the most grateful Thanksgivings where I didn't care what happened. I was grateful to have the people in my life, my, my husband, my parents, mm-hmm. my sister. I was so grateful because of everything. My parents have never had COVID. My mm-hmm. sister has done tremendous. My husband is alive. Like there is a gratitude in 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 every single day, I wake up and draw a breath. That is the big thing for me. That's why I use that to sort of push the fear down.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know the other thing you just said about if you'd be great at TikTok. I think if you were born in the TikTok generation, you'd be a drop in an ocean. I think that that you had that spark and that impulse before the technology was there. I feel that so many with so many of my my peers and people that grew up before the internet that you know they talked about how they feel like they missed certain technological opportunities, but I think it made you uniquely suited to capitalize on it when it got here. you Mm -hmm. know what I
0: mean? Yeah. Yeah. You
2: had a leg up.
0: Totally. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There's, there's no way even 10 years ago, I would have had the aptitude to do this today. It all Mm -hmm. came through just experience and, and, and drive. I mean, you know, It's interesting that I can get on, sit down here and turn this on and talk to you both and you both are getting what I'm saying. Um, And I don't think I would have gotten here without also fostering relationships. I love you guys. I think you're both super incredibly smart people and have a lot of great insight on things. And, you know, that's where the technology has helped me. It's brought me closer to people that I wouldn't have never, I wouldn't have met you guys out here, not That's this true. way.
2: I do love that. You know? I love. I love how I've gotten, thanks to technology and the internet, gotten to be connected to like my people. It took me yeah. a long time to find my people, and and yeah. that we're able to find them now. Like if this happened when I was twenty, who, who fucking like I don't know. Even like Scott, if Scott got handed like podcast technology when he was nineteen, like I think he. Would I wouldn't be, have a career. I'd yeah. be
1: dead, <laughs> dead in the water immediately. <laughs> Would shot a shot. Be, be canceled 1500 times yes. over by now
2: <clears throat> i mean I'm, i don't believe in any synchronicity and spiritual serendipity or any of that shit but I'm like it's just i feel fucking lucky i do oh, too yeah. oh yeah oh yeah very i listen
0: very lucky i listened to a, a tape of myself hosting a radio show the night that princess diana died and wow. i sounded like a fool i was 17 <laughs> years old
2: i want to hear this yeah and
0: I, I'm gonna insert it into this episode I yes. sounded like a fool and I I the impact they wanted to hear from the youth about what impact does it have and I basically <laughs> am like it doesn't really have an impact on me like <laughs> now. now I was on terrestrial station across the San Francisco Bay area. And I thought I was the hottest shit after that. When people were like, I heard you on Hibernia beach live last night. And I was like, I know you did. And now I look back and I go that exists and it was in the world. I don't think I I also needed to have experience in life. If I had a podcast at 19, Mm -hmm. what, what the fuck would I be talking about? What in the hell? I thought I knew so much. Nothing good. Nothing. Yeah, good. I mean,
1: you you say like, yeah, you know, I was a fool at seven. Everyone's a fucking fool at seventeen, you know. I don't me, think that find, at
0: the
1: time. No, of course not. But that's you know that's youth for you.
0: Right. Right. Um. Okay.
1: I was. I was fucking. I was borderline like. It. I wasn't until like I was thirty until I actually felt like sort of a, a centered human being, and then it took another, you know, ten years to to kind of whittle that down even further. Um, Were you married at thirty? No. Um. When did I get married? I guess it would have been fourteen years ago. I was in my early thirties, I guess.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm not even the and same that person. Whole, I was and, 10 but years that ago.
1: whole. Yeah, that whole decade was like we were married for about a decade, a little less, like nine years. And that whole stretch was about me figuring out what the exact limits are to my ability to be in a relationship long term like that. And uh, also finding out the limitations on like uh, how much domesticity uh, I'm comfortable with. I really thought at the time like that was the move. Like I was trying to. I was trying to buckle down and be like a normal person. And <laughs> I couldn't, you know, I, that's what I found out. Like it took, it took three or four years into the marriage. And then it was like, uh, wait, wait. So it's like this forever now. <laughs> and, you know, and then, you know, a number of things happened, but it, it just, yeah. Um, well, I'm do rambling. you
0: fear? No, you're not. Do you fear? Do you, do you fear commitment?
1: Um. No, but uh, I think that in the last couple of years, going through the divorce and going through uh, the, the, the couple of relationships that I've had since um, have brought me to the conclusion that <laughs> th- that I'm just not a person that's meant to be in like a, uh, a like a permanent relationship. I think, uh, I think I'm going to have a number of relationships with people between now and whenever I shuffle off this mortal coil and maybe some of them will be three months long and some of them will be five years long and so on and so forth. But, you know, um, I I think I've just, I, I just don't think that's the right life for me. And it's unfair to be in that sort of an arrangement with someone where it maybe is the life for them, which is, you know, kind of ultimately what I've realized in my marriage.
0: I mean, I was for the streets for many years before I got sure. married, and when I got married i I have am surprised at myself uh by the level of commitment and dedication I have to Alan in spite of his shortcomings mm-hmm. uh the number one shortcoming being you know. the the sobriety Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, thank God he is a decent, kind, gentle human being when there is no Jekyll and Hyde going on Um, and that he is my soulmate. So I can commit to being in a relationship with someone when they're on an even keel like Mm -hmm. that. But, uh, you know, I really thought that I wasn't going to be able to stay monogamous. Um well and that was it was I'm very surprised that I with effortlessly don't look at other dudes. I don't I mean I find men attractive, but I don't feel like that urge in me that I would feel mm-hmm. all over the streets. Los Angeles, San Francisco, you, the globe. I don't feel I don't have that anymore. I guess you, I, I I'm just But you're in love.
1: You're quite yeah, clearly I'm in love. love. Yes. Yeah, you know, makes a huge difference. I hadn't I hadn't been in love in years by the time that marriage ended you know and I I think I you know again I think I could be with somebody for as long as I'm I feel I feel that yeah I feel in love with them but I also I just don't I don't know if I buy the concept of permanent permanent love like that
0: Phil do you
2: uh, I've been with my wife for 25 years and I'm not going to blow your 26 with a stupid fucking answer on this podcast. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, what I have no. been, a pr- no, um, what I will say is that, you know, uh, I mean, I'm hearing all, everything you're saying about your relationships and the challenges and the, like, frankly, I am the Alan in my relationship and it's only yeah. through Amanda's Endless, bottomless well of patience with me that we are still married. Um, because I, I was horrible for a lot of years when I was drinking a lot. It was I wasn't abusive. I mean, I was I was just impossible to be around and to be with. Mm-hmm. I you know, um, and I would have left me. <laughs> That's for sure. Wow. She did not. Wow. She, stuck, she stuck it out. Um, and you know, she has saved my life a number of times in in a very literal sense. So. Um, and she's been there through all the all the bad stuff, and the bad stuff was pretty front loaded in our marriage, uh as I said you know family deaths and stuff like that and drinking and whatnot and I'm so glad that she's next to me for the good stuff that she gets to enjoy some of this stuff that is finally happening for me and, and has come around um, and I you know one of one of my late life fears is that she will have done all this in service of my life and my career and my joy and not have her own. So Mm. I, I, I Mm. do want to, I I'm I'm trying to be mindful and trying to shift my focus to like, how do we make Amanda's next 10 years? Great. Because I've had a a nice one. No, I mean, I'm not saying it in a cloying way. Like it's a fucking, it's a, it's a, it's a worrisome challenge. That's that's ahead of me.
3: (laughs) No, No, it's great. But if I don't do
2: it, like I'm not saying it as like a platitude. Like it's a job that's ahead of me that I need to figure out, um, because I owe it to her, frankly. Um, and you know, Scott said some interesting stuff about how he doesn't see himself as a person who's going to be in a permanent relationship, but I don't see myself as much as I feel like I'm exactly the same as the 12 year old who was crying in bed when he realized there was no God, I, I feel like I I'm a different person every 10 years and, and Amanda has stuck it through through all these different versions. So I don't think you know yeah. what version you're going to be in 10 years, Scott. Like you might be, that's like, totally true. You jumped the that, gun clearly. Like you weren't ready. You tried to force a thing that, was, that you weren't ready for, but you know, I, I don't want to like, I don't think I'm set in stone as a person even like, and and I want to like, I want to see you know, what the next version of me is and, 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 and who that person is. Oh, God, we, Amanda and I were talking about like Botox and getting work done and stuff. And you, know, you made me think of it earlier <laughs> when you're talking, no, no, no. We were talking about the topic of it. i talking about getting it. And Amanda said, I'm, I'm curious to see who I am when I'm old. And I really love that sentiment. I always think about it a lot. I'm curious to see who I am when I'm old. Um, and I don't think it's this person exactly. And I hope it's not a worse person, but mm-hmm. you know, um, I think once she said that and she and I had some like really kind of frank conversations about that about like what our our twilight years might look like I think that we're both into it and we're into like seeing who we both become and 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 checking mm-hmm. out there's so there's a there's a curiosity beyond just love and commitment and all that shit there's a curiosity to ride this out and see who the other person continues to evolve into that I think is maybe I don't know if it's the secret sauce, but it's a secret ingredient, I think. Mm. Like if I'd you're really looking at your partner that. and you're like, I don't want to fucking see this person in five years. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to stick around and see what this person turns into. I think that you have problems and you've got to, and you've got to address them and take, <laughs> take some steps. But I, I yeah. think thankfully uh, she and I are kind of still curious to see who we both keep growing into. Well, that's a very lovely thought.
0: It's lovely. Scott is not moved. Scott is not moved. I
2: am. I am.
1: I am. I, I, while I don't feel like, you know, uh, marriage was right for me. I don't feel like, you know, uh, who knows how I'll feel in 10 years. I can't plan for that. I can only answer the question how I feel. Of course. Um, but you know, of course, like I would prefer, you know, uh, uh, not to feel that way I think I'm just I've just made my peace with it and I've only made my peace with that like somewhat recently like it was, you know while I was up in Idaho living with uh with Becca I had nothing but to, uh, uh, nothing to do up there but sit and think about think about stuff like this and um and you were like
2: I'm alone and this feels correct
1: it's kind of yeah you know i wow. i missed my i missed my friends but i also felt like you know this is this is cool like i'm not um i'm not like fucking going crazy with loneliness or anything like that um but when i when i hear phil talk about his wife and i I've, I've met phil's mm-hmm. wife she's a, a lovely woman i can't um, wait to meet her uh say one you know they they have an awesome relationship of course like th- i might not feel like that's <clears> the right lifestyle for me to be in right now, but I can look at that and, and respect the hell out of it because, you know, it's a happy relationship.
2: Well, I'll I'll say this. You said you, you were married for a decade. I, we, we weren't who we are as a couple 10 years ago or 10 years Mm -hmm. into our relationship. Um, there was a lot of trial and error and back and forth. And, 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 um, and like I said, patience, like, Mm -hmm. and, and putting in some work, but like if, if it felt like something not worth staying in, I would like to think that I wouldn't and I'd like right. to think that she wouldn't. Um, but at this point, like it's somebody that's been next to me for 25 years. There's such a, a, a comfort and an effortless and a, and a correct feeling to being together that it's not complacency because we have to have to show up for each other every day and not, you know, not just unload our worst versions of ourselves on each other just because we're sharing a roof. Um, but you know, it's the person on the planet that I want to invest my time in and Scott. Yeah. And Scott. <laughs> yes. And Scott. Honestly.
0: You're Phil, you like nailed that shit. It seems cool. wild to a person, maybe, I don't know the closest confidant I would share. One of my best girlfriends is vehemently against, uh, you know, tolerating this shit, you know, she Mm -hmm. doesn't like it. But what I try to get her to understand is that I was a young woman who, I didn't necessarily need love. I didn't know what I needed. Um, And I didn't give myself fully to anyone on purpose. I withheld myself, but not my body, uh, to a lot of people that were either gonna be great guys or I knew weren't great guys. And mm-hmm. when I finally met him, Alan, and I knew that that love was true and it wasn't a love that was built on codependency. It was a, a love that he actually feared because of, of how strong it was, because he knew that he was working so hard to prevent this, you know, the the disease from overpowering and, and screwing everything up. Um That I was like, you know, I have to, I have to learn compassion. My mother taught me compassion and I've never was a compassionate person until this marriage. I didn't give a shit what anybody did or how it affected them or what was going to be the outcome. I was only worried about me. And now that doesn't happen specifically in relationships like these. It's, you know, I had to learn to be patient which I didn't have before I had to learn to be compassionate and considerate. And I also had to, I'm now in this phase coming out of this, this, this situation that occurred this year, I'm coming like, I also have to remain independent. Maybe that's the Al Al Al-Anon talking. Uh, But I also have to like take care of myself and -hmm. I had forgotten to take care of myself too. Um, And I think all of that is so much a part of love. You know, if I didn't Mm -hmm. love him, uh, if I wasn't in love with him, yeah, I would have been up out of here. But -hmm. there's a potential that I've seen before in him uh, that I know is, is he's exhibiting its possibilities, you know, as we speak, um, because he's done it before. And I know that there is a commitment And that is so sexy to me when someone commits to doing the right thing instead of being like, I'm not going to just, I'm just going to half-ass this. I think that's great. Um, And I think that's, you know, my fears about it happening again lessened by the day because somebody is showing me, not just telling me. And that in a world like this, being shown effort is says a lot versus being told effort. So that's sure. You know, I have a lot of sympathy and empathy uh for your wife Phil because I I maybe not exactly the same situation, but she is you know, she's one of those women who probably heard a lot of this and that and that and that and down that and she was like, you know what, I'm going to stick to what I know about my man. And mm-hmm. I think that's very lovely what you said about her. She should she should be very she should consider herself very lucky to hear something like that. That's a beautiful sentiment.
2: Well, don't you tell her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Literally texting her right now. Um, I I loved this conversation. I guess my final my my Jerry's final thought is that fear is subjective. Uh, fear can be unfounded. And fears can subside. I really, really feel like we did some good work here today, guys. I, I just want to thank you both.
2: Oh well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Is uh, I, am I gonna get a bill uh, for this? Yes, I was just gonna follow <laughs> up and say
0: that the copay um structure uh is 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 Described in the literature that you'll be receiving after this show. So please read the fine print. We don't. Uh, I can't read. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: you. Welcome back to Tangent Island. And now the three things I want to leave you with my Jerry's final thoughts of sorts. Number one is. I'm going to give you a link to this TED Talk by Ruth Sukup. Um, She is the host of the podcast, Do It Scared. And she describes the seven fear archetypes. Um, And she is a suicide survivor. She dealt with crippling uh, anxiety and depression. And she really sort of deep dives into what she went through and then how she overcame it. But more importantly, she you will find parts of yourself in this if you suffer from uh, fear of anything um, and how to sort of pull yourself through up and out of it. I definitely identified with a lot of the themes she talked about, particularly anxiety and depression. Anxiety is a big thing for me um, and I'm constantly working on resolving that. and and And, one thing that I know for sure is that there may not be an ultimate solution, but participating in therapy, checking in with myself and really trying to sort of identify the fear or the worry or the concern and know that I can't control it. Uh, I probably can't change it or I can do something about it. I have options. Um, there's always options and she's beautifully, it's 13 minutes. Check it out. The link's there. It's a TED Talk X um, Conversation that I just found very, 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 uh, very, very necessary if you're kind of in, stuck in that space. Number two, if you have a library, remember those, um, if you have a library card and you have access to Canopy with a K, K-A-N-O-P-Y, um, please sign up for it. It is available, uh, it's, an, it's a streaming app and you should be able to get it on Apple TV or you will have it um, on your television as, as an app itself. But you put in your library card number and it opens up uh, a library that is curated uh, by the librarians. I don't know who the Infinite uh, librarians are, but it allows you to stream uh sorry stream movies um, and documentaries and there's like lessons on there but i found that um i, I really like this app and i found that it's really uh, a great alternative because you're fed a lot of different types of like materials on other apps that feel very heavily curated and there's windows and things like that. This definitely has windows too, but um, streaming windows, but it it, it definitely feels more with the reader in mind, the way it's themed out. Um, I have been watching a lot of foreign cinema on it because foreign cinema is hard to get, a lot of independent uh, films, hard to get, that's not physical, uh, independent films and shorts. Um, and it's just kind of good to just have an option when you're kind of tired of the Peacocks, tired of the Paramounts pluses, uh, just to have something that's just there to kind of provide you entertainment and is well thought out. I really like it. Download it. Check it out. You do get credits. OK, so just know that like you get like about 27, 28 or 29 credits. So every movie is like a couple credits. I think TV shows are one. It, it, it depends on how it's set up where you are, but definitely check it out. I love it. And it's just sort of good to be able to explore, uh, different types of content. That's not trying to meet some fantastical box office studio negotiated window. It's, it's really great. And it's a lot of good content on there that you should check out. Um, another link I will drop in for you is my favorite Brown noise. Um, my favorite brown noise playlist. I really think that uh, brown noise is very, very good for your mind. Um, And if you can turn on Bluetooth speaker headphones, however you listen to uh, music and or anything overnight. Um, And and don't disturb others. Um, Brown noise quiets the mind and allows you to sort of fall into a sleep that is restful, more restful. Um, It helps you just clear your brain of all that noise. And I found that when I wake up, I just feel more pleasant. I feel like I can face a day without sort of like the chaos of the immediacy of starting the day. Um, It's definitely helped calm sort of that chatter. I usually kind of get myself tucked into bed. I do my thing, I put my bonnet on, I uh, wash my face, you know, moisturize, all that stuff. And then I kind of get into bed, lower the lights, and I start it while I'm kind of, you know, getting prepared to shut down. And it just sort of lulls you there. And, you know, I, I, I recommend it to everyone, sort of as a method to take yourself out of the funk or the craze or whatever day you're having and get you into a space of just sort of like white noise is something that people have been doing for ages i was listening to white noise as a kid but when i started learning about the waves and sort of like how waves uh different waves there's pink waves there's green waves there's different you know waves they do different things but the brown noise um uh there's I called it waves. There's theta waves, there's beta waves, there's different alpha waves, there's different waves, but the pink noise, the brown noise, the green noises, they all do something different, but the brown noise, I feel works for me. Everybody has different rhythms uh, that they respond to, but I definitely respond to the brown noise. So check that playlist out. Definitely test it for a few days just to see how it goes. And if it's, if it's, helping if you notice a difference, you know, I don't do it every single day. It doesn't always happen, you kind of fall asleep, whatever. But test it out and see how you feel. See if it eases you into the day, gives you sort of a sense of, hmm, you know, that's what I was looking for and it did that for me. You've been listening to Tangent Island hosted by me, Winter Mitchell Roarbot. It's edited by the wonderful Brad Parsons. Social media is created by Breed Frisbee. This is produced by me. 2680 Productions. Thanks for listening.